If you would, open your Bibles with me again today to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and we'll read again two verses here that we've been looking at. And that is the 15th verse, which is our text, of course. It reads, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now notice the expression, may grow up. So God does want us to grow up. The 13th verse, Till we all come in the unity of the faith, now notice this, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. The word perfect means, as we've said to you, unto a mature man or full-grown man in Christ. Now notice that it was the knowledge of the Word, the knowledge of the Son of God that would help us to grow unto a mature man, the knowledge. Now where do we gain this knowledge? In the Bible. Then if we haven't grown, it's because we had the wrong diet. If we haven't grown, and many times we haven't, the reason is because we have not had the right teaching. Or many times we've just simply had inadequate teaching. Let's talk about what manner of man are you. You know, First uh, Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and the 32nd verse, Paul said, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Now, here we have God's ethnic division of the human race, Jew, Gentile, church of God. The Jew is ever a Jew. Gentile means the heathen world. Everyone outside of Christ who is not a Jew is a heathen or a Gentile. The church, the body of Christ, the new creation stands utterly alone. Now, Paul had another division in his writings. He called him the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. The natural man is the one who has never yet passed out of death into life. He's never been born again. He's never been recreated. He's never become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The carnal man is a new creature. He's been born again, but he's never developed or grown. It's sad but true that the carnal man may remain in this condition all his life long. He may never develop beyond the babyhood state of the new creation. He's governed by his body, by his physical senses rather than by his spirit. The spiritual man is the one who is developed in divine things. His spirit has gained the ascendancy over his intellectual processes, and his spirit has gained the ascendancy over his body and his physical senses. God governs him through the Word. Let's look carefully at these three men to see which one we are and what we can do about it. Notice 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, another translation said, because they're spiritually understood. If you understood the things of God and spiritual things with your mind, the natural man could understand them. But you don't. You discern them or understand them with your spirit. The natural man is the unspiritual, physical man. His wisdom is earthly. Earthly means natural. Now, James describes that in James, the third chapter, the 14th and 15th verses. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, or that is demonic. You see, the natural man is motivated by demons. He is ruled by Satan. Oh, no, I'm not saying he's demon-possessed. You see, all those who have never been born again, have Satan as their God and Father. They are in the kingdom of darkness, and they are more or less ruled by Satan and demons. Remember, 
Ephesians 6.12 said, rulers of the darkness of this world. So the natural man is a Satan-ruled man. Now, Romans, the 8th chapter, the 7th and ninth verses, because the carnal mind, other translations called it the mind of the flesh, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. This natural man cannot please God. Now, notice the ninth verse. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. The natural man is the man that is motivated by the flesh, a physical man, not a spiritual man. Now, I found out years ago it helped me in my studies in Roman, every place it says flesh to substitute the word senses or physical senses. After all, friends, the only way that the flesh has any expression is through its physical senses, and it will clear up a lot of thinking for you if you'll do this. Now, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for he cannot know them. You see, all the knowledge that the natural man has is received through his five senses. You know, the sense of sight and hearing, tasting, smelling, touch, so on. His mind is actually governed by his senses. Now, I call this natural human knowledge. Others call it sense knowledge. That's a good term. The way it comes is through the five senses. Sense knowledge, natural human knowledge, is all that the natural man possesses. But born-again believers have a knowledge that is above the flesh, above the senses. It could be rightly called revelation knowledge. This knowledge is revealed to us in the Word of God. It's above the natural. The Bible brings you a revelation or reveals knowledge to you which your physical senses cannot grasp. You couldn't understand it even after Revelation come, but thank God it's there. Now, friends, it's deeply important that every believer notice the contrast between natural human knowledge or sense knowledge and Revelation knowledge. Many modern theologians are not Revelation knowledge men, but sense knowledge men. It's all in their mind. Most of the leaders of the church world as a whole are actually sense knowledge men. If they are saved, they are not spiritually developed. Many aren't even saved, but just natural man. They're governed by their physical senses. That leads them to repudiate revelation knowledge or to give it second place in their lives. The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. The Bible is of the Spirit of God. It is not natural human knowledge. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. You know, uh, one fellow said, Brother Hagin, this is refreshing. I'm going to school, and my professor said concerning the Bible, if you can't understand it or reason it out, just forget it. Well, can you understand and reason out God? Well, then forget him, according to this professor. Can you understand and reason out with your little peanut brain, Jesus, the Son of God, the virgin birth? Well, no, you can't. The professor had said the virgin birth is not reasonable. It didn't happen. Can you understand and reason out the Holy Spirit? Can you understand and reason out divine healing? Can you understand and reason out the supernatural? No. Well, then he said, if it doesn't make sense, forget it. Now, this just proves what I'm saying. He was motivated by the senses. You can always locate these people. Now, common sense will tell you, they'll say. I know, but where did you ever read in the Bible that it said we walk by common sense? You didn't. It says that we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, Romans 8, 14. Natural man cannot understand the Bible because it's of the Spirit of God. It's in the realm that he doesn't know anything about. Someone said, what you're not up on, you're down on. The reason a lot of folks are down on a lot of things is they're not up on them. If a natural man hasn't been born again, he's not up on spiritual thing. He doesn't know anything about them, so he's down on them. 
Now then, let's go a step further. We talked about this natural man. Let's talk about the natural walk. Notice Ephesians, the second chapter, the first through the third verse. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Now here is a picture of the natural man walking. He's walking. Now notice, where in time past you walked, according to the course of this world. He's walking according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. He has been ruled by the spirit that now worketh in the children or sons of disobedience. He's doing the desires of the flesh or of the senses. He is by nature the child of wrath. Now that's strong language, but it describes the man outside of Christ. Now notice verses 11 and 12 of the same chapter. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Another translation reads, And ye were at that time separate from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now that was us before we were saved. And that's a picture of everybody who is not now saved. The Gentile has no more claim or hold on God today than he did then. As a Gentile, he has no legal standing, no legal rights, but thank God he can come and be born again and become a member of the body of Christ. Then he has has a standing, and he has rights. Now notice 1 Corinthians 1, 28. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Now here the word of God's talking about us. When he chose us in Christ, he calls us the base things of the world. He calls us the things which are despised, and things which are not. The Sinanair translation reveals the things which are not represents the slaves of the Roman Empire. They had no standing, no voice. They were just things, so to speak, which were not. But when they became Christians, they had a standing before God. 1 Peter 2.10 says, Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. The Gentiles had no standing, that is, no people. With all his boasted culture, ability, and money, he has no voice, no standing with God. The picture of utter spiritual bondage. Ephesians 2.12 describes him as without hope, hopeless, and without God, godless. Hopeless and godless. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now they walk in the vanity of sense knowledge. They walk in the vanity of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. They are filled with their own knowledge, ignorant of spiritual things. Isn't that a picture of them? But thank God there is a way. There's a way out. There's a way to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now that's the natural man. Let's talk about the carnal man. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. 
For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envyings, and strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men. Now who is the carnal man? He is the babe in Christ. Not a newborn babe. You see, when Paul wrote, these Corinthians were not newborn people. He plainly infers that they should have been beyond where they were in their spiritual development. They seem to be in about the same boat as the Hebrew Christians in Hebrews 5.12. Paul's letter to the Corinthians is written to born-again, spirit-filled believers, even to a church which has all the gifts of the Spirit operating in it. He said to them, in 1 Corinthians 1.7, Ye come behind in no gift. Brag in on them a little first before he starts to correct. He specifically mentions that they didn't come behind in utterance. That means the utterance gifts. 1 Corinthians 1, 5. You can see that when you get over to where he began to correct them, they were all trying to talk in tongues at once. Here is a thought that will help us in some of our thinking so we can grow. Spiritual gifts don't make you a full-grown Christian. Often people don't know what spirituality is. Some think being spiritual will be exercised as a spiritual gift. That couldn't be so because it plainly states that these Corinthians were carnal and babes and they had all the gifts of the Spirit operating in their church. Now, I've heard people say when a fellow Christian they thought to be carnal gave an utterance in tongues or an interpretation or prophecy. That I've heard them say, that can't be the Lord. I said, why? They said, well, because they're carnal. I said, do you mean to infer that carnal Christians can't have the Holy Ghost? Yes, they said. Well, I said, that can't be so because you have him and the church at Corinth have him. Can carnal Christians have the Holy Ghost? Certainly. Are carnal Christians saved? Well, Paul seemed to think so because he said these people were saved and he called them carnal. Now, actually, the Greek word translated carnal has created much comment and no little confusion among Bible scholars. I think only in latter years has the Spirit of God made this word clear to us. In some scriptures it's translated carnal, and in others it's translated fleshly. It really means a man who's governed by his physical senses. That would be the flesh governing him. Though he is born again and a new creature, he walks after the order as natural men. Now listen again to what Paul wrote. And I, brethren, could not speak... Unto you as unto spiritual, that is men, but as unto carnal men, even as unto babes in Christ. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? Now get this, and walk as men. Several modern translations reads, walk as mere men. Now Paul talks about envy and some of the same things James did in talking about the natural man who had never been born again. Paul's saying, in effect, though you've been born again, you're still walking as mere men, as a common man, as a natural man who's never been born again. You're walking just like the world men walk. There's envy and strife among you. You're letting your flesh dominate you. One modern translation, instead of saying ye are carnal, says you are body ruled. That's a good translation. The outward man, the body, which is not redeemed yet. Now, thank God we'll have a new body one day. But this body, which is not redeemed yet, rules instead of the inward man who's a new man in Christ and has the Holy Ghost dwelling in him, dominating, ruling him. Too much of the time in Christians, the outward man dominates the inward. As long as he does, they will remain babies and carnal. They will walk just like world men, that is, those outside of Christ, walk. You'll run into these baby Christians who have never grown sometimes, and it's amazing to see how they think they're so spiritual 
and yet live in the flesh or in the senses. I preached to a church once who, before they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and became full gospel, were what we call old line holiness. Some of them almost thought it was a sin to take a bath. One did tell me that it was a sin to use deodorant. Another one thought it was a sin to drink Coca-Cola. Well, it wasn't a little church. There was over 500 there the Sunday morning I preached. And the Lord anointed me and gave me a message just for them. I, I've never preached it again. Although I was quite dignified then, much more than I am now, I jumped off the platform and ran up and down the aisles. I said, people talk about worldliness. This is the most worldly church I ever preached in. Man, they looked at me. Uh, then I began to tell them what worldliness and carnality is. I read what Paul had to say about the Corinthians, that there was envy and jealousy and debate and strife and division. And I said, personally, I thought Paul was writing a letter to this church. Then I happened to look up there and it said Corinthians. Some of them got so angry they were ready to fight. Well, that proved they were carnal, didn't it? But it helped some of them. Carnal Christians have not learned the love law nor the love walk. When you love one another, you won't walk in envy and strife and jealousy and division. The Corinthians were born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. They had gifts of the Spirit, yet they had not learned the love law nor the love walk. When you are spiritual, you learn that. When we begin walking in divine love, Christian love, Bible love, the God kind of love, we stop being jealous. We stop strife and division and backbiting. Backbiting, bitterness and jealousy are signs of underdevelopment on the part of the believer. What causes these things? It's because people are selfish. As long as you are selfish, sensitive, and can be hurt, you are a babe in Christ and cannot grow. God does want us to grow. Now, how are we going to get out of this carnal state? There's no other way to get out of the carnal state except to grow out of it. Remember, Peter said, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Paul said, I have fed you with milk. Paul is trying to get these Corinthians to growing. He didn't tell them they weren't saved. That comes as a shock to some people, but they'll just have to be shocked. At the end of the chapter, he said to them, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. 1 Corinthians three twenty-one through 23. Well, I'm so glad for the Holy Spirit and for the Word of God. I'm so glad the Lord has been patient with all of us and helps us. I can remember praying way back 1951, beginning of March, where I was holding a meeting in another state, and as I was praying in tongues, in the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 4.14. Now, I know the devil and natural people and sometimes even carnal people don't like this. But it'll help you, praise God. Most of what I know about the Bible I learned by praying in tongues. What do I mean by that? Well, to see, the Spirit is to be your teacher. If you'll take enough time to pray in tongues, you'll get your mind and body quiet while your spirit's functioning. You're speaking out of your spirit. Then God can communicate with your spirit because it becomes sensitive to Him, for He is a spirit. So I remember I prayed that day in tongues for almost three hours, yet it seemed like it was only 15 minutes. When I looked at my watch, I couldn't believe it had gone so fast. Now, I had my eyes shut all the time, but I mean afterwards and opened my eyes and looked. I'd been praying three hours, and I thought it has been 15 minutes. Well, during that time of praying, anyway, the Lord took me through the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, and it changed me. It changed the course of my ministry. It changed the course of my life. It made me a greater blessing to the church. It enabled me to do more than I'd ever done before. It helped me to do some growing. 
Now, he took me through the first chapter where Paul bragged on them a little, then began to tell them how they were babes and carnal. He said to me, if it had been you and some preachers you know writing to those people, you would have said, you bunch of backsliding buzzers need to pray through and get right with God. And up to that time, that's probably what I would have said. But he said, Paul didn't call them buzzards and didn't call them backslidden. He did call them carnal. He did call them babes. But then he went on telling them how and what belonged to them and how to get out of that state. And the only way in the world was to grow out of it. And you know, that day changed my ministry because I started doing what the Lord said. I started feeding Christians instead of beating them over the head. And I started feeding them the Word and putting something into them instead of taking something out of them. Now let's look again at what Paul said to them in the latter part of that third chapter. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Now do you mean to tell me, Paul, that all these baby Christians, these carnal Christians who were walking as mere men, that all things were theirs? Yes, it belonged to them. They may not come to the knowledge of it yet, but it belonged to them. They may not have grown to a place where they could appreciate it and take advantage of it, but it belonged to them. And that's what they needed to know is what belonged to them so that they can begin to take advantage of it and they can begin to grow and become spiritual. Now, let's talk about this spiritual man. I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. In other words, Paul said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual men. Now, isn't that sad? It is a tragedy, really. Who is the spiritual man? What are his characteristics? I think this scripture will help us. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The spiritual man is one who knows what belongs to him in Christ Jesus and takes advantage of it. The spiritual man has drunk deeply at the fountain. He is fed regularly at the table of the Lord. The spiritual man has saturated himself in love, that is, the love of God. This man has come to know the Father in reality. Now, there was a time in my life that I knew the Lord Jesus and was filled with the Holy Ghost and had preached a number of years and had various gifts of the Spirit operating at times in my life. But somehow on the inside of me, I knew that God could become more real to me as my Father than a Father in the flesh. The Word says He was my Father. And I knew in my spirit that He could become more real to me than my wife, more real to me than either of my children. I knew in my heart, and I said it out loud as I drove down the highway on the way to revival meetings, that I knew God could have become more real to me than the automobile I drove. But I knew He wasn't that real to me. And you know, friends, it didn't come overnight. It did not come in one month. It did not come in one year. But as I continued to do what the Bible said, to fellowship with the Father through the Word and through prayer, little by little, He became more and more real to me. Until one day I was able to say, He's more real to me, and I know him better than I know my wife. I'm more personally acquainted with God my Father than I am my wife. He's more real to me than my children. He's more real to me than the automobile I drive. Now, to be honest about it, not too many can say that, because natural things are more real to them than spiritual things. I came to the place that every waking moment, even when I'd wake up in the nighttime, I'd be conscious of his presence, more conscious of his presence than I was of my wife's. The spiritual man comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ in his great ministry at the right hand of God the Father. Every born-again believer knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But just being born again will not cause you to grow. Just to know him as your Savior, you'll never be more than a baby. 
To grow, the believer must come to know what he is in Christ and what Christ is in him. He must come to know the present-day ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. Knowing the reality of Jesus' present-day ministry did more for me in my spiritual growth than anything else. We need to grow up in knowing the reality of his ministry today as high priest, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, as advocate, 1 John 2, 1, as intercessor, Romans 8, 34, Hebrews 7, 25, and as shepherd, Psalm 23, 1, John 10, 14, as Lord. That is, we need to grow up in knowing the reality of his ministry today as high priest, as advocate, as intercessor, as shepherd, and as Lord. Just because we heard this taught is no sign we walk in the reality of it. It is as we feed upon it and become acquainted with the truth that we come into the full knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, mature man. The spiritual man has come to know the blessed intimacy of the Holy Spirit as he is unveiled in the Word. Now, friends, you can be baptized with the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues and never know this. That's the sad thing about it. The baptism of the Holy Ghost has been preached in a way that isn't exactly right. And folks think that because I've, I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost that that's the end. But it isn't. It's just the beginning. And because of wrong thinking, they never really learn to know the Holy Spirit intimately and are cut off from going. As spiritual babes, they received the infilling of the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues and were all taken up with the outward manifestation. Certainly, I believe in speaking in other tongues. Thank God for it. But you hear them talking about how I felt. And they're trying to feel that away again. Now, it doesn't make a least bit of difference to me if I ever feel that away again. I base nothing on feeling. I base everything on the Word. Then when they lose that feeling they thought they had, they think he's gone. But he isn't. Jesus said, I'll pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. John fourteen sixteen. He didn't say he'd stay two weeks. He didn't say he'd come on a vacation. He said the Holy Ghost would come that he may abide with you forever. Somebody said, but Brother Hagin, don't you believe that if a man sins, the Holy Ghost leaves him? Certainly not. If he ever left him, he'd be forever doomed and damned. He could never get back to God. The Holy Ghost doesn't go and come. Not a scripture in the Bible says so. David, after he had the woman's husband killed and committed adultery with her, in his prayer of repentance, in Psalm 51, 11, said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Had the Holy Spirit left him, he could never get repentance. He could never pray. He could never come back. And if he ever left you, that would be the end of it, too. He's still there to show you the way back to repentance. If you've sinned and failed, he's still there because he's a representative of God to show you the way back. I found that when I miss God and sin, it isn't the Holy Ghost inside me who condemns me. It's my own spirit. Jesus said he hadn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John three seventeen. I found that the Holy Ghost was there to take the Word of God and open up to me to show me the ministry of Jesus for me today gently. Even when I'd missed it, was so ashamed of it, I hated it with every fiber of my being. Yet he was so sweet and so gentle to lead me to show me the way back, the way out. In 1 John 4, 4, John says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We need to become conscious of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence and learn to walk in the light of the Word on this subject. 
then in time of crisis, we would remain calm and collected because we'd know the Bible is so whether or not it seems like it is. If you know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, when the crisis come, you won't have to run around like a chicken with his head cut off, flopping here and there trying to find help. You'll know help is available. You'll know he's in there. The greater one is in there. You're walking in intimate fellowship with him, and he'll show you what to do. In every crisis of life, he shows me exactly what to do. On the inside of me, he'll rise up in me to give illumination to my mind, direction to my spirit. But he cannot do it if you're not sufficiently acquainted with him to recognize it. If you've been born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, you have on the inside of you all you'll ever need to put you over. Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. John 14:16. Now the Greek word translated comforter also means, and the Amplified Translation reads this way, comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. Now what else would you ever need? Get acquainted with the Holy Ghost through the Word. When you know what the Word says about Him, then you'll know what He'll do. You'll know how He will manifest Himself, and you'll know how to yield to Him. You'll know how to walk with Him, and you can grow spiritually. Now then, notice something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. See, get acquainted with the Holy Ghost as teacher. Here's an invitation, a precious invitation, a blessed invitation to go into the deep things of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We didn't receive the Spirit of the world. We received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit which is of God. Now, why did we receive Him? For what purpose? That we might know something. Jesus said of Him, He will teach you. He will guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He will receive a mind and show it unto you. The things that are freely given to us are the things Paul's talking about in Ephesians 1, 3, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And they are the things. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 said, Which things we also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now notice Paul said earlier in this chapter, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, that is, mature, Baby Christians, she wouldn't get it. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. Another translation reads, nor of the dethroned powers of this world. That's involved in all things, you see, that he's done for us. That is Jesus, you see, in his death, burial, and resurrection, dethroned the devil and all the spiritual forces that had ruled this earth from the time Adam sold out to him in the garden. Adam was the god of this world. God gave him dominion over all the work of his hands. But Adam committed high treason and sold out to the devil. Then the devil became the god of this world. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says that he is now the god of this world. Then Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But thank God Jesus dethroned them. In his great plan of redemption, which God planned and sent Jesus to consummate, these powers are dethroned. They can't rule over us anymore, but we can rule over them in the name of Jesus. Now this wisdom is not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, 1 Corinthians 2.13 said. It's an unveiling of spiritual things. You couldn't have knowledge from the natural to save your life that Jesus defeated the devil. You couldn't see him do it. The disciples saw him dying at Calvary, but they didn't know why he died. He was with them and had tried to tell them, but they didn't know why he died when he died. 
After he appeared to them, they said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You see, it wasn't until the Holy Ghost came and began to teach them that they understood the plan of salvation and what God did for them in redemption. This couldn't be seen with the natural eye. The natural man couldn't understand it at all. It's an unveiling of spiritual things by the aid and the energy of the Spirit of God Himself. And then the spiritual man knows his inheritance. Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now another translation reads, Giving thanks unto the Father who has given us the ability. If he has made us meet, he gave us the ability to do what? to enjoy our share of the inheritance of the saints in light. The spiritual man will know what his inheritance is in the light, for the light of God's Word will shine in and open it to him. He'll know he has the ability to enjoy it, for God has given us our ability. He is our ability. That ability reveals itself in unveiling the treasures of God that belong to us. Now, our thinking has been so shallow in some areas, we've been robbed of God's blessing. For instance, we've quoted Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And without studying it, we've just put emphasis on the word power, not realizing what the word power means here. I know I was pastor of a community church when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues. To hear full gospel people talk about this power, I thought it would be some kind of a great, overwhelming, physical, and emotional experience. But all I did was talk in tongues. Yet when I read down through the Acts of the Apostles, that was all I could find that they did. So if the, if the other would have been important, the Bible would have said something about it. And though I talked in tongues for an hour and a half and sang three songs in tongues, as I talked in tongues, I said in my mind, my, my, I've had a greater blessing than this many times, just out praying by myself. But you see, friends, receiving the Holy Ghost isn't getting a blessing. You can get blessings beforehand. You can get blessings afterwards. It's receiving a divine personality to come into you and dwell in your spirit. Now, I didn't know that. So I'd shake myself and feel myself and think, my, 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 I don't have any more power than I ever had. So I went back to my church and never said a word about it. I didn't seem to have any more power to preach than I had before. But the congregation began to tell it. They said, you have something you didn't have. I said, what is it? Well, it's a greater ability than you have. It's a greater punch. But I looked up this word power from Acts 1-8 in Young's Concordance. And I found out that the Greek word translated power here also means ability. My congregation could see I had more ability to preach than I did have. I had my mind hung up on the power. God said that they would receive an ability, an ability to witness. We're overlooking the ability trying to find the power. John called it an unction. He called it an anointing. He said it's in you. When you know the ability of God's in there, then you know what he meant when he said, Greater is he that's in you. When you know this, then when you hit that hard place, you can just lean back on him instead of fighting and trying to pray the power down or work it up. You can just lean back and laugh. You can shout all the way through because you know the greater one's in there. He'll put you over. He'll make you a success. He'll bring you out. The spiritual man is going to come to know this, but the baby doesn't know this yet. The baby knows he has had an experience. God has made us meet. He has given us the ability. That ability comes from the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Yes, the ability to witness, but it doesn't stop there. He has given us the ability to enjoy our inheritance. 
Deliverance, redemption, is our inheritance. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We have been delivered out of Satan's authority. Satan has no authority over you or me or over the church. Now, let's don't let him take any. We've been delivered out of his power or authority and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You're in the place of his protection and his care. You're in the place where you feed upon the bread of heaven. The word of God is the bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The manna of heaven is the word of God. As you feed on this word, you will grow up spiritually into the image and unto the stature of the Son of God. And that's the only way you'll ever get there. As important as prayer is, you won't get there by praying. Though fasting may have a place, you won't get there by fasting. Though self-denial may have a place in the Christian life, you won't get there by self-denial. Though experience has a place in the Christian life, and thank God for experiences, but though you may have had many wonderful experiences or many wonderful visions or revelations, they will not get you there. Nor will spiritual gifts get you there. These things have their place and their purpose, but the Bible tells you exactly how to get there. It comes by the knowledge of the Word. The spiritual man is the one in whom the Word has gained the ascendancy over his mind and over his body. It has brought him into harmony with the will of God, for the Word of God is the will of God. Well, I'm teaching from my book, Growing Up Spiritually. That concludes this message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1-888-283-2484 or visit our website at www.rhema.org or write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74150-0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagen Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D, Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.